Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web development and design with now, officially, even though it's been this way for a little bit, three hosts and myself, Amy and Brad. And in this episode, Brad is going to give us his origin story. Web development and design, who would have guessed? Well, we can do them both, even add a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compressed. What's up, everyone? My name is James Quick, and I am a developer, speaker, and teacher. Hello, my name is Amy Dutton, and I am a lead maintainer on the Redwood JS core team. Hey, y'all. My name is Brad Garropy, and I am a front-end developer at Atlassian, working on Confluence. Love it. And we have had Brad as, I think we've considered an official third host for a while, but I don't know that we've like made that an official statement publicly. So Brad has already done some hosting on the podcast before, officially part of the team, which we're all super excited about. And uh, this is going to be your opportunity to do your background, your origin story. Our first two episodes, I think, Amy, were, I don't know which was first, but like your origin story and mine. And so I think it's fun to get to get to know the person behind the mic, behind the video camera, I guess, and to learn more about our journeys. So I guess with that, I can just open it up. Brad, do you want to like, what, what was your original start? Did you get a computer science degree? Did you see somebody else programming and you were like, what is that? Like, where did you start? What was your interest? I mostly, okay. Yeah, I guess we got to figure out when the timeline starts yeah. in this whole story. I'll start at like going to college. I knew when going to college, I wanted to to do something technical, something that I couldn't just like read a book and get a degree and do by myself and things like that. I wanted like to use the resources of the college and university. So I chose an engineering degree and I eventually wound up on electrical engineering because, you know, hey, you just can't get to, you don't get to play with all that stuff on your own at home. I went to the University of Texas, which is known to be particularly difficult for engineering, specifically electrical engineering. It's th- this way. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like rock on, right? And yeah, it, it totally kicked my butt. Like I thought, I thought UT was very difficult. I felt like I spent like all day studying to like 2 a.m. every every weeknight. And then on the weekends, I would just like party to try to like get, escape it get rid of it and then like come back and start sunday night and do it all again you do know ut means something completely different to two tennesseans <laughs> i know I, yeah yeah right and we're both, and the, orange, and both too, orange right yeah, yeah just yeah. different colors yeah. yeah yeah but one of them's got a better football team <sighs> only to, only this year I know. <laughs> I, i'm okay. actually so i'm all, i also went to vanderbilt which is a rival of tennessee although there's not many of us vanderbilt fans and it's, anyway, Texas is having a baseball. good season and yeah, having baseball. a good season. Yes, that's true. And when I went, we won the national championship though. So like frame of mm. reference, I'm like UT's the best. But yeah, we had some slump years in between there for sure. Who was We have Peyton Manning. <laughs> oh yeah. That's that. True. that was a long time yeah. ago. <laughs> who was this is probably all getting cut out. Who was the was that the um who's the guy who played for the Titans, the quarterback? Vince, Vince Young. Young? That was, was like Vince the Young? Vince Young years. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Cool. Yep. So you took so, like how many computer science classes did you take in college? Like what were they? What types of classes did you take? Like I, I took zero comp sci zero. classes okay, wow. because the electrical engineering just took you down such a different path. I took like circuits. I took matrix math. I took. Did you do like a digital logic? Digital logic, uh, yeah. which, which then graduated into like 
microcontrollers. Mm-hmm. And so the two programming classes I actually took were a microcontroller microcontrollers programming class, which kind of had you had like a, a little a motherboard with inputs and outputs that you could wire up to different hardware. And it was up to you to like code the microcontroller to make the LED flash or, you know, you know, increase or decrease the volume or things like that based on inputs and outputs. This is so over my head. <laughs> yeah. We went so far as to like do a computer architecture class where we like built memory from logic <laughs> gates. And then yeah. like you could actually code the computer that you made. It was wild. And it was one of my favorite classes. That's wild. I took a machine, not machine learning. I, get, I don't remember what the name of it was. It was something it, we did assembly is basically what we did. Mm-hmm. And it was really like, it's not fun, but it was really <laughs> interesting to kind of learn how a computer actually works. Yeah, for sure. And then the actually like only real programming course I took was a Java class. It was like basically an intro to programming. Mm-hmm. This is what it's like to like write code in an IDE, compile it and nice. run it. So it was like one Java class. It was very class-based. It wasn't like a yeah. functional programming type class. So you're like learning about making classes and inheritance and stuff like that. I took drawing classes. We drew pictures. <laughs> Like radio and media and stuff too, right? Yeah. 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 I am exaggerating slightly, but you did a little to me, more that's than just so wrong. impressive. That's so impressive. Yeah. I just have no, I, I have no idea how computers work. Oh. I just think sometimes if I went back in time, I would still, I would be living in the stone ages with everybody else because all of my knowledge is built on top of what other people do. So that's awesome that you understand like the primitives. Yeah, it was cool, but not practical. Like a lot of my friends went to go work at like AMD Intel, like chip companies so that they could do, you know, board layouts or board verification or things like that. But I took some internships along the way. One was with Hewlett Packard. I was doing some like security stuff there. I took an internship with Caterpillar, which was really fun. I wrote code for their chairs on all the tractors so like the chairs are like very smart. They have like presets and uh, motors in them that can change everything and really cool. So got to write code that there. And I got to see the tractors like in action. They have this whole like proving grounds area where the tractors drive and handle all sorts of crazy terrain to test them out. That's fun. And then so the last was, internship yeah. was Dell. And then I got hired by Dell at the end there. Oh, so that, that was actually going to be my next question. So you started... Your career after college at yep. Dell as at a Dell. developer, what was that role? Yeah, so I was a, a firmware developer on their server controller. They have this thing called an iDRAC that goes into every server they build, and it's like a management controller. So that way, like your server administrator can write code or programs that manage multiple servers at a time by talking to the iDRACs. Um, so I wrote C code to make this happen. And that code got flashed on a chip in the factory and went out and like, like updating it was like very, very, very difficult. This is, I think Amy and I both are like super wild. Yeah. Um, I did a tiny, I did like one or two classes in C plus plus in college. And that was like, never, never wanted to do that again. I don't think. I didn't love it. It was very in the weeds, a lot of memory management, a lot of stuff like that, because you're working on a very tiny constrained system that needs to run like incredibly efficiently. Right. So I tried like graduating from that. And so I was looking around for opportunities inside of Dell 
And we had this whole ridiculously complicated build process that used Jenkins and a ton of like bash scripts and Python scripts. And so I really got my hands dirty in there in the build processes. So that's how I learned a lot of Python along the way. And one part of the build process was our testing framework. And so eventually I came to own our automated test framework. It was a big Python application that logged into these IDRACs remotely and ran a ton of commands. But like the most difficult part of it was the fact that all these IDRACs were like physical machines sitting in a lab down the hall. And I had to be able to like remotely power cycle them if a test failed or the firmware bricked or something like that. And so I had like 10 servers all connected to like serial connections that were exposed over the network that my Python program could talk to and manage over the network. It was really wild to, to do like software-based testing on hardware. And, you know, after I got like really proficient at Python, I started looking around the ecosystem, thinking about like, what else can it do? And I, stumbled upon the words Django and Flask, which was my like first introduction to like web at all was uh, trying to get a Django program up in Python. And then I realized like I was starting too high level. I should learn HTML and CSS first. Mm. And so I did. And really this was all off the clock. This was like, I was exploring a little bit at work, but I wasn't officially working on web tech at work. So I was like, like I was watching, I think a lot of like floor and pop videos, Brad Traversy, the net ninja. I really liked his teaching mm-hmm. style. Those were all the, like the Classic. YouTube videos that I would watch to learn all this stuff, all the basics, which is yeah. like, you know, get something on a page as vanilla as you can do. How long ago was this? Like what years? This was 2015, probably I would okay. say, because I spent around 10 years at Dell no. You spent 10 years at Dell? I spent you 10 really? years at Dell. I didn't Dell. even know you worked at Dell. <laughs> wow. And so it was like... I didn't either. It was in 2015. It was like... Geez, you thinking? 20... Oh. <laughs> 2018. long pause. I was like, hold on. I can't do that. I was like, anymore. I think he's loading. <laughs> um, he's hacking. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe 2018, 2017, I was teaching myself this stuff and then trying to to get another job. Because I had realized like, once I started doing the web dev stuff at Dell, I was like, I love this stuff. This is what I want to do. Like yeah. at Dell, what I was working on, I couldn't share or show anybody, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, nobody would care. And so I was like, I need, <laughs> I want to, to, to do something that I can put out to the world. And so as soon as I learned about the web dev stuff, I started leaning into it. And I probably took two years of learning on my own and nice. trying to build stuff in order to, to get, you know, enough credentials together to build a resume and start looking for jobs. And at this point, I probably had like a couple projects. I had my blog. I had a couple like, like a loan amortization calculator where you could type stuff in and it would like show you the, the results. Um, a couple other like small things like that. But it was enough to <clears throat> get me an interview with Adobe, which I feel like was my first actual like break into mm. web development. And I feel like my first real job i mean <laughs> i don't know there's something about working joining. at dell like that seems pretty real but go yeah. ahead <laughs> it, it just the first job that really aligned with what i wanted to do yeah. because dell was mostly like we're just plucking engineers out of ut's engineering program yeah. and that was like and just throwing them I'll, into whatever i'll take job thanks yep. you know but yeah 
When you went to Adobe, weren't you senior level? I got promoted very quickly at Adobe. Oh, okay. Because it was like, wow, your first job, senior. Yeah. It was like right place at the right time. It was a brand new team. I had just gotten done like teaching myself all about, you know, React and front-end frameworks and how to build applications and work with APIs. And I was like really eager to keep learning, keep pushing, keep moving forward. And so I basically just took the lead, took the reins. Like they were like, hey, we need to build a product recommendations engine and UI. (laughs) We're all in this together and we have no idea what's going on. Let's go. And so I just like really took it upon myself to, you know, come up with ideas and take initial steps and prototype things and spin up proof of concepts. And by the time the project was done, I had done like so so much of the work and so much of the groundwork and foundations that they use that for like a lot of new projects. Mm. So next thing you know, my name was just associated with everything. And, and I became like, I guess, foundational, important, whatnot. And that's what got me the first senior role. So what was the hardest thing to learn as you're like transitioning from hardware to like crazy Python stuff to front end? Yeah, the hardest thing to learn in web dev for me was I didn't understand the life cycle of an HTTP request or what a browser Mm -hmm. really did. And so I knew that Node.js was a runtime and that like, you know, websites used JavaScript. So I installed Node.js and I made my own web server because I didn't quite understand the role of Express at the time. And so I was like, I need to understand what happens when like, something comes in and something happens and something goes out. And I didn't, it was all magic. I didn't know because at the time you're trying to learn this stuff and it's like half of the things are sending JSON back. And the other half of the things are like using templates to send back HTML. And how do you use the JSON or when do you use the HTML? And so, yeah, I wrote, I called it like the node web server, the repo still up on my GitHub (laughs) And it was literally like I, I set up. You built Express. <laughs> I built Express. And it was like a bunch of if statements. Like if the method is git and the path is yep. this, do this, you know, and like yep. then it all clicked. And then, then I slowly like built on top of that. I added a templating language on top of it. I did end up switching to Express. And by the end of it, it's like, oh, okay, I get it. Now I have an Express app that uses handlebars and sends back HTML that has a front end that can then go hit that again. And I think the second hardest thing to learn was the whole React situation, the whole front-end framework situation, (laughs) situation. because it's like putting the cart before the horse. I was like, I got really confused about what was JavaScript, what was HTML, what was the framework? Mm -hmm. It all got mixed up and it was really hard to like untangle that whole mess for myself. It's funny. I feel like there's two different types of developers in the world. There's the people that just accept the magic and then other people that are like, I have to understand it. Who is this man behind the curtain? (laughs) I can't accept magic. I have to understand it. I just appreciate it. All all the magic. I don't know. (laughs) I found like more and more. I find myself like opening up D.TS files lately and being like, what is this type and how is it Mm. created? And I need to understand it a little bit better because it's yelling at me for the wrong reasons. And it was mostly because I didn't under understand what its true use case was until I peeked under the covers. Mm-hmm. I think that I have a mix of that. Like I'm a big fan of uh, abstractions at times, but I also 
really like to know often how things work behind the scenes. And I love the idea of knowing in more detail, like how the web works, because these web requests are like essential to how we do web development. And that's why I always tell people my recommendation as you're learning is to try to get some experience with full stack, whether or not you want to do front end or back end, or you want to do full stack, having experience on both is going to make you better at the other. Like even if you just do front end, you'll be better at front end from understanding the back end and vice versa. And that's, that's what I think people should have to go into interviews for those types of jobs is you should be able to explain how, how the web works, at least at a high level. You don't have to go like super, super detailed, but to just acknowledge and understand how all the pieces fit together, I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, Brad, that also explains why you love Remix. Because I feel like it really mm. embraces a lot of those things, Back the, the core principles. Yeah, this is how the web works. This is how a, how a browser works. Why abstract it and rather yeah. lean into that technology? The browser APIs are actually really good. Like I'm, I'm just learning that more and more. Like as frustrating as some of them can be, you know, if you're trying to take form data and make it JSON, it's not meant to be JSON, you know, but it, 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 it works everywhere. It's so crazy. I just did a video on HTML forms in five minutes on YouTube Dude. where it uses the regular form submission. Yeah. Um, it's actually for file inputs specifically. Um, and then I add some JavaScript later on in case you want to do things like add a preview of the video that they selected. And then I do show how to handle that um, the form submission in JavaScript and submit it using a fetch request in case you wanted to do like not a page refresh and maintain loading and stuff that's outside of something like remix. So thinking about content. So like you got the job at Adobe, which I guess was probably around the first time that we first interacted. And I don't know specifically what, like probably just Twitter. I don't know that we had anything like really big that we did other than just being on Twitter together for a while. You, I feel like the first time we met, you were streaming about, like make an NPM pack or publishing something to NPM. And I had just gone through that exercise yeah. for myself. I was making small, small packages because it was, you know, yet another thing I needed to learn how to do. And because I had just gone through the process, it was good timing. You were streaming about it. And I was like answering mm. a lot of questions. I was just, yeah, it, it, it lined <laughs> up like between your streams and my work schedule. I was always free. So I was always in your streams <laughs> and you were working on the stuff that I was working on. And so I was like, let me share what I know. And that was one thing I did early and often. Like the first thing I built was a blog. Everybody builds a blog first, but I actually posted there. Like I've got almost a hundred posts on my blog right now. Wow. And I would tweet about everything and I would open source everything and I would publish packages and I think because of that, I gave myself credibility that I couldn't have earned otherwise. And I started networking. Like I said, I wasn't afraid to like talk to you. And I feel like getting involved in the community uh, on Twitter and on Twitch was very valuable. So many things about that make me happy. So I Mm -hmm. have in my talk the other day gave my whole networking spiel about how it's not meant to be this cold, sterile thing. Networking in my definition is just investing in your community which is exactly what you just said. And then you talked about content being the validator for like your skill set and stuff. And I talked about that in my conversation with Taylor at gun.io, the impact of content. Like you put words on your resume, it doesn't mean very much. But if you put a link to like content that you've created, they can see 
whether or not you know what you're talking about and they can see your excitement for it and your like process, like your dedication enough to be able to post and like document stuff for other people to benefit from. So lots of benefits. Well, and what better way to solidify what you're learning than to write about it and turn around and share and teach other people. (laughs) And if you put it out there and if your ideas are incorrect, people can course correct you. Like if, (sighs) if you're learning and you're not sharing what you're learning, you could be, you could have the wrong mental model about something and, the whole and time. you would never know un- yep. until you put it out on Twitter and everybody roasts you, you know, right? Yeah. Well, that's the old cliche. Like if you want to know the right way to do something, post about the wrong way and people yep. will be sure to tell you that it's wrong yep. and here's the right way. <laughs> people were nice people though. Are... I don't think I ever ran into uh, like Super a big bad community member. Yeah. I, I was really active in level up tutorials um, mm-hmm. community. That's how Scott and I, I mean, we're acquaintances, you know, but like he knows my name because I was always yep. in the discord asking questions, answering questions. It's just the best, best way to meet folks. Mm-hmm. Did you, were you really strategic about the content creation stuff? Like, did you think about the benefits or was that just part of your process? Like I did a thing, now I'm going to share it. Did you have a bigger vision of that? Well, it, it was part of the process. I had no vision. I, I still, to this day, don't call myself a content creator, right? Because I don't think I put the level of care and effort into it, you know, that you do, James. But it's something that I think is important to do because I came from the background where no web company would look at me because mm-hmm. I was a firmware developer. I would get labeled immediately and they're like, no, we're not going to hire you for this job. So I had to, you know, pave the path for myself. And the only way to do that is to build and share. Oh. And so I've just, it's in my blood now. I have to do that with everything I do. And now you have the fancy mic and the camera. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I know. All yeah, I kind of stumbled into that all one. the things. Yeah. yeah, it's a fun. If for nothing more than a hobby, it's nice to like build out a studio, which you have now, like a, a, a renovated, studio, like just painted. Did you do any other changes in your office? Just painted. As soon as we put a door on this wall to my right here, we're going to actually flip the desks around. So my wife, mm. my wife and I's desk will be side by side on that wall. And then you'll be looking okay. at this backdrop on the other wall next to like a nice door. And so this whole room, including ceiling, is black right now. So it's very like moody. And I'm going to just like use lighting to really change the vibes. Mm-hmm. That's going to be super cool. We are in the process of painting Jess's off. Like when we get done with this this afternoon, we'll go back and... Uh, work on that some more and she'll have an accent wall that's dark that will nice. be her backdrop and then i'll do something yeah. similar uh behind mine so it looks so good i took took a picture and posted it on twitter and instagram mm-hmm. the dark walls in the morning light is like perfect yeah. do you choose this is a personal question do you choose a matte color like does it need to be matte so you don't get any shine off of light coming in especially black it should be matte yeah okay because otherwise cool. You've know. got light bouncing off of like a shiny black. It's when you photograph it, it's going to look white hmm. because okay. of the reflection. So you really want to get yeah. as matte as possible. So we did mo- everywhere in the house has matte. Nice. Cool. So you were just going back to like kind of career progression. You were at your first web dev job at Adobe. Yep. Things were going really well, right? Like you were enjoying were really what you well. were doing. You were successful in what you were doing, et cetera. And at some point, I can't remember how long you were there, but you made a transition to where you are now. Do you want to talk about like transition and what that was like for you? Yeah. So I spent three years at Adobe. I probably got promoted within the first year to senior. 
I led like another one or two more products. So like search, I led the search front end because we were building this machine learning backend that just was able to power so much. So it's like make experiences on the front end that leverage the machine mm-hmm. learning backend. So I did that. And then I did open source for a while too. We made like this events collector for e-commerce storefronts that integrated with Adobe stuff. And I got to work on that as open source. And we had a, a small tight knit group of front end engineers that got really productive because we were using the same tech everywhere. We were using plop for generators. You know, we were all trained up on the same tools and we kind of ran out of front end work. And then a big management change happened and the new management came in and they're like, okay, we see you're running out of things to do. Uh, you're going to learn PHP and work on Magento. And I was <laughs> like, <laughs> no. And they didn't take too kindly to that. Um, and the <laughs> whole the whole organization had a big shakeup. A bunch of folks left and things changed. And uh, that's what spurred me to go looking again. And I wound up at Atlassian. And so my journey, I always say, is like every new company I go to is kind of like a smaller company than the one before. So mm. Dell's huge, Adobe a little smaller, Atlassian a little smaller, about 12,000 folks. No big deal. Pretty big, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some um, big names in there too. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I feel like I, I could thrive in a startup. I just don't like yeah. the idea of, um, you like know, the instability risky. possibly. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's definitely... Yeah. Definitely got to be a balance. It's got to be something you think about like going into. But the good thing is for you and for people like you with strong skill sets, if it didn't work out at a startup, you can go back to something yeah, like the company that you're at, right? Like I'm not trying to tell you to leave and go do that. But when you have a strong skill set and have a good reputation, it enables a little bit more of being able to take the risk because you could probably find something pretty quick after if it didn't work out. I don't want to discount the job search. It's still hard. Yeah. It's I still take interviews every now and then. And I'm like, this bullshit again? Like, <laughs> Really? It's so weird when you're trying to interview for a big company. They don't care how many GitHub repos you have. You could, mm-hmm. you could build an incredible... I could be the maintainer of React. Like PayPal wouldn't care. You know what I mean? Like nobody cares at that scale. They, they care more about you and your skill set when the companies are smaller. Bigger companies are just like, I don't know, man, can you pass the interview questions? Great, you're in, whatever, yeah. you know. I wonder if that's just a product of having to interview so many people for so many positions all the time that it's like, maybe we'll make this you easy for us and just give a yes or no, like, can you, can you do this thing or not? Yeah. Well, and I want to go back to the stability piece. Some of it, I wonder how much of that's just an illusion because you have all these big companies right now that have just let off tons mm. of people where you're just in some cases a name and a salary number whereas yeah. like with a startup you really do have the ability to be influential in the bottom line and the product and driving decisions and things like that yeah and let's put it like this a startup if the founders aren't total you know losers they're going to tell you hey guys we got like six more months of funding left and it mm-hmm. ain't looking good start looking mm-hmm. give a six yeah. month heads up Guess what big companies do? Two weeks, get out. Maybe mm-hmm. you, we might give you a month's or, worth of pay. Or like, you get an email where you're like, hey, from now on, you're totally locked out of everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it is a better idea, you know, and getting hired at a startup would be a whole lot easier because, you know, my network and my community would help with that so much. 
I was just going to say, it just depends on what your tolerance is and where you want to take certain risks. So, yeah, you know, I have, you know, different feelings about even working for yourself. There's risk involved there because you're having to do all the things. But Ooh, also yeah. if I have five clients, yeah, it might be painful for a couple months if one client leaves, but I still have four. I'm not totally out of a job. Whereas if you are full-time with a company and your one client, your company lets you go, you've got it. You have nothing. So, yeah. you know, there, there's pros and cons no matter what direction you go with. That's one thing I don't think I will ever do is work for myself, for at least like relying on it for a full-time income, uh, a side thing, uh, a retirement type thing. Definitely. But whew, I don't know. I don't know if I could even, do it even if something like totally took off, you wouldn't. Uh, if it, if it took off, I would. Yeah. If it took off, I would like, if I could, yeah, if I could, I think of like unkey or something like that, where somebody writes a side package and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, we're making money on this Mm. transition for sure. Is that where James is now? Yeah. James Perkins is with unkey. That's why I missed that transition. Yeah. Yeah. Full time now too. Yeah. Interesting. That's fun. I think the one thing that's there's several things that are interesting about startups one is just like small team working hard like around super smart people most of the time the other thing i think just financially is the potential upside there's no guarantees mm-hmm. but if you get early with stock options that are with a company that does really well after five years you can make a lot of money there's no guarantees you never know but it is one of the potential upsides if it happens for sure and i think for me the biggest upside would just be being in an exciting environment you join these bank companies, it's not exciting. It's roadmaps and OKRs <laughs> and stuff like that. A startup is like, oh my God, we need this feature right now. Let's whip it out. Like, you know, I would love working yep. uh, at a pace like that with smart people who are motivated. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that'd be super cool. I think the thing that I've really enjoyed about working on smaller teams is that I get to use a lot of my skill sets because I can do video or social media or design or programming. And a lot of the bigger companies, they want you to specialize in one particular thing. And so I really appreciate being able to utilize all those skill sets. Yeah. The phrase I like to use for that is like, move the mission forward. Take any small step forward in any way you can to move Mm -hmm. that needle to contribute. I like that better than the jack of all trades, master of one. No, but yeah. recently I did hear that there's a, another piece to that saying that I didn't even know existed. Oh. But just like, cut off. I think I saw this in Brian Morrison's post. Oh, really? I want to say. Okay, well, what's the end? I had somebody tell me it at a conference. So it's jack of all trades, master of none is better than one. Yeah. And I love that. That it's like mm. it is still better <laughs> than yeah. only having one key thing. I'm going to yeah. switch. Yeah, switch back to Brad. Switch a little bit. <laughs> um, I want to maybe dive a little bit into the interview process. You talked about how it's hard. So there's a couple different perspectives. Right now, layoffs are happening all the time, which really sucks. Like every day, I feel like I see more and more. So a couple different pers- or questions for you. Like what did the interviews look like? Was it a mi- Did you have to do live coding? Is that something that you were prepared for? And then... Do you have any tips for people that are going into interviews, things that you feel like you did well or like things that you were conversationally ready to talk about? Just any kind of thoughts, I guess, on the interview process while you were going through it. Yeah, like the live coding stuff is the hardest, um, especially if it's a very specific algorithm they're asking for, because I'll be honest, I don't know them. I don't mm-hmm. study them, uh, you know, and I I try to avoid them at all costs, you know, because it's just not something that 
we really need as front-end developers. We have set and map in JavaScript that pretty much handles any performance issue Mm -hmm. that uh, is going to get thrown at us. But my biggest tips for interviews is practice talking while coding. Streaming helped Mm, me so Mm -hmm. much to like speak and code and think out loud. Because if you're just quiet and you're just in your own head, you're not giving the interviewer any signals at all. And you're probably just freezing up inside. So you can write comments about what needs to be done. You can talk out loud and then you can code to those comments. I find that it helped me stay composed when I was unsure about things. And then your fingers get moving, you get a little bit loosened up. And you're like, okay, I think I'm going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I would just say is like, make sure you're up to date on programming stuff. Like whether it be Twitter news, like whatever's happening, maybe like the latest JavaScript release or the latest release of like a big framework that the company that you're using, that the company that you're interviewing for uses. And just be like, oh, yeah, you know, I know you guys use React. Are you using any of the new such and such, like the new React server components? Most companies are mm-hmm. going to say no, but but it gives them a signal that says I'm an expert. I know what's coming. I know what I'm talking about. Um, even if you just drop some keywords, I think it's helpful. Think- we get such a benefit, like an advantage in that regard, just by being on Twitter, right? Like we can yeah. shit talk Twitter and Be stuff all Twitter. day, but just by paying attention, we get to see that type of stuff more so because the reality is most developers in the world don't spend time on Twitter. Like we think we do because it's what we see because we do it, but most people don't. So you walk in with like a wealth of just awareness from just being there and showing up on Twitter or Discord or wherever. Yeah, dude. And Theo just put out a video on this. He said, and he opened the video with like, okay, think about the most average person, you know, like right in the middle, well, even frame this in developers, think about the most average developer, you know, and then realize 50% of developers are less than that threshold, (laughs) essentially, right? And yet, you know, the other 50% or more. So you're like, we are the the 1%, the the people who have a podcast about programming, the people who hang out on Twitter, you know, stuff like that. And just lurking around that 1% on Twitter in communities will get you very far, get you very inundated with everything that's going on. Absolutely. I think we've kind of got most of just the career part what does, and we talked a little bit about this, do you have any next steps for yourself? You talked about probably not a startup, probably not working for yourself. Do you have any next, any career goals or anything that you'd like to accomplish? <laughs> well, yeah, I got hired into Atlassian, not as a senior engineer. I was getting paid the same, but I lost my <laughs> title. So I want my title back. Been working on that. My title back. <laughs> I've been through a lot of managers at the company. Let's put it like that. So trying to get my title back. I I have a very strong case going for me right now. So I hope that comes soon. But Twitter wise, or Twitter wise, I looked at chat and I saw James on Twitter. Uh, That's your next career goal. Twitter is my, I'm going to go to Twitter. I'll work for you on Twitter. Um, You heard it here, folks. Career wise, one of the things that I really want to do is speak. So I've done a lot of podcasting, a lot of, you know, informal presentations and stuff at work. But what I want to do is do like a real talk at a conference. So I did my first rounds of CFPs for that conference. Didn't get in just yet, but I'm going to kind of shop around also at the Austin meetups to try to get something going for whether it be the Remix meetup, the Next.js meetup, or the 
JavaScript meetup, and there's a React meetup. So there's a lot of options here if I wanted to give a talk. And there's like a lot of good people here. Like Dave Rupert hangs out at these meetups, which is cool. Mm -hmm. And Brooks Mm -hmm. Liband, who just got hired on for Remix as like, I guess, some kind of DevRel type guy, runs the Remix meetup. So people I want to get in front of and give talks to and stuff like that. That's a good idea. I'm obviously a supporter of this goal as a (laughs) speaker myself. I think for so many reasons i mean it's similar to content in general like it's beneficial the more the better you get at communicating that's always going to be beneficial in your career the you never know where speaking goes to like brand and visibility and networking and all the things same with content right so it's i don't know it's definitely a a practical but also i think just fun goal especially if you get into a balance of doing a couple of year and you kind of see people repetitively enough to like when you get there you like know them a little bit and you have kind of your group your core people and stuff it's it's definitely a fun thing to do and meetups are the perfect way for people to start because usually meetups are like struggling to find speakers oddly enough they are yeah like all the ones i just listed they're like hey we're looking for speakers and i'm like damn this Mm low-hanging fruit yeah but i realized submitting cfps is like a whole different game like Mm. meetups will take anybody and everybody but conferences are so different they really want like a curated set of particular content and talks for their specific audience and so i'm starting to realize that i need to talk to the organizers a lot more directly to be like okay why don't you just tell me what you want and i'll give you what you want you know but if i'm just throwing ideas out they may not align with the goals of the conference i just sent you this there's a course which I always struggle sometimes like there's this whole idea that you buy books or you buy courses and you feel like, oh, I know this thing now because I have this course, but you don't actually like go through it and apply the knowledge. So like I have a graveyard of unfinished courses or unfinished books. But anyways, there's one that I've been eyeing called ultraspeaking.com. And it's one that like Ali Abdal and a whole bunch of like people that I admire online have vetted this as a great way to get better at public speaking. And some of the material looks really interesting. Like I saw one of the exercises and it's like, okay, tell a story. Now shorten the story. Now shorten the story even more. Now shorten the story even more. And then it's like, now explode it. Make it even longer. Make it even longer. And that's one of the things that I feel like I struggle with when I'm speaking is being able to fill space. Like so many times I feel like I'm trying to speak succinctly and concisely and one of the things I think that James does really well is being able to like expand or contract to fill the needed amount of time that he has, which is really helpful if you're on stage and you're trying to hit like yeah. a certain mark. With the um, same I, set of content, with the same yeah. end goal. Yeah. Or like um, something else that I haven't read through everything, but I was like looking through the blog the other day that they have. And one of the things that I was talking about was even <laughs> like breathing. Which I'm really curious, like what they recommend. Take your because, time and breathe. Yeah. Like when <laughs> I speak, out. I talk so fast. And sometimes I feel like I'm like running a marathon while I'm speaking. And that just kind of like perpetuates this nervousness when you don't feel like you can catch your breath. So, you know, anything that you know you can do to help yourself get better at those skills, I think is a good thing. Yeah. I think an- another tip there is just talk about something you know really well. Mm-hmm. Right. I know some people say, uh, what is it like conference driven learning where they'll like sign up for a yeah. talk that they know nothing about. But I think it's very beneficial on the flip side where if you really know the topic, 
you can expand, contract, answer questions, go as deep as you want to because it it's just in your head. You just mm-hmm. are so familiar with it. Cool, cool. So we'll jump into the next segment of our podcast, which is picks and plugs, where we pick something that we like and plug something generally that we've worked on. So James or Brad, do you have picks and plugs? I've got one. So this week has been insanity at our house. We got the whole house painted. And um, I we did the office kind of bold. As you can see behind us, if you're watching on Twitch Live right now, the whole office is now black. Like ceilings, walls, baseboards, oh, the whole ceiling. entire thing. Everything. Yeah, it's dark. It looks bright in here because we didn't put the curtains up yet. But mm-hmm. it will be dark. And then I'll put up really cool lighting in here. But I just love this black color. Like we went and tried a bunch and we landed on Sherwin-Williams Black of Night. And it's perfect. It's dark without being too dark. It's just has this tiny hint of like dark, dark, dark navy blue in it. It looks awesome. It photographs really well too. If you check my Instagram, I'll put the link here in a bit. You can see stories of the new paint job in the office. And I think it looks fantastic. So I'm picking paint this week. I also saw your desk and was like, of course there's no cords. Of course there's (laughs) nothing on your desk except like your phone and your keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a blog post about my desk and my cable management and I show pictures of underneath it, which it's well organized, but it's still like scary how much stuff is under there. And I reference that and have a couple of the same pieces of equipment that you have. Nice. Like the mount and the power brick, I think. I got the exact same one. So good. So follow, yeah. yeah. One of my favorite things under the desk was that that rack mm-hmm. mount power mm-hmm. supply. is just so flush. Yep. Uh, plugs? Plugs. I don't know. I'm just going to say all... Because this episode's about me, I'm just going to say it's all my socials. So uh, <laughs> I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on YouTube. I think that's mostly it. Brad, yeah. you're beyond everything. everything. One word. Yeah, that's right. So the great thing about having your origin story in a podcast is now when you tell your non-tech friends that you have a podcast and Ooh. they want to listen to it, I always point them to the origin, my origin mm. story. Because Good, I'm yeah. like, this is the only one that <laughs> you might, you know, get something out of. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good idea. Yeah. Amy, Here. do you want to go next? Yeah, I do. So um, the time of this recording... Sam Bakeman Freed is being tried, and I have been so fascinated by his story. Are you guys familiar? Mm-mm. Okay, so he is known as the golden boy of crypto and was oh, considered yeah. the youngest self-made billionaire in the world. And some people thought he could even go on to become a trillionaire. Well, he is currently being tried for fraud and wire transfer and a whole bunch of other stuff. But he basically lost four plus billion dollars or some crazy amount within like a few days. And so his whole story has just been fascinating to me. And so I'm going to plug two things related to that or pick two things related to that. One is James Janney. He did a YouTube video that's just really well done. Talk about like, uh, what is it? Envy, like editing envy and just his ability to tell stories. It's just top notch so it does a good job of kind of summarizing the whole case so check out that youtube video and we'll include a link in the show notes but i've also been listening on audible 
Michael Lewis has a book called The Infinite Game. And I'll include a link to that. Or sorry, that's not what it's called. Give me just a second. Infinite Game is by Simon Sinek. So I'm also going to plug Michael Lewis. He has a book called Going Infinite. It's also just a character profile of Sam Bankman Freed or S F. What is it? SBF, SBF is what he goes by. Yeah. And FTX. So, but yeah, it's super good. And then for my plug, oh goodness, this is a hard one. We were talking about what is Twitter. <laughs> my other go-to. So for my plug, I'm going to plug the learn, build, teach discord server because that's not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> if you go to learnbuildteach.com, it's a great place to connect with other developers. And we we're talking about just networking. Uh, James does such a great job of engaging with the community and providing content for them. So Go to learnbuildteach.com. Thanks. Now I have nothing yep. to plug. Uh, <laughs> actually, I was going to do something else anyway, but I will pick just ring camera system in general. So like doorbell and cameras. And so we had ring set up at our old house. And I think once you install that stuff, you're not supposed to take it with you to your next house, but we hadn't sold our house by the time we moved. So I took it all down and replaced it with, regular lights and doorbell and they don't know that there used to be a ring there anyway. (laughs) So I took it and then, you know, we had it over here, hadn't set it up and then just like in an afternoon, set it up pretty quickly. And it's just so nice. Like we have a local security company that that was like 50 bucks a month for monitoring and there's actually their panel is already installed, but that is more than the 20 bucks for a ring. And then for the local company also, if you do like extra sensors or stuff, if you do like a garage sensor or something, you pay monthly, like 10 or 20 bucks or something to have it. And that just felt ridiculous because the ring has paid for itself easy. Like spending the $300 on equipment up front has paid for itself over saving $30 a month for a year, like whatever it is. Anyway, it's just been really easy to work with and to reset up and to move the sensors and everything. So it just works really nicely. I don't know those other ones that do similar things that work well, but for me, ring has just worked really well for us. So I really like it for doorbell, floodlight camera and an extra camera that we have in the backyard. I like wholeheartedly agree with all of that stuff. Like, first of all, we need to do a smart home episode because I have a lot. I got to do more. Yeah. That'd be super fun for you Um, to like lead that. We do the nest cameras here, Mm -hmm. not, not the ring stuff, but we've got cameras on the doorbells and then a bunch of cameras around the house. And what I like most about the net, the new smart home setups is that you can just take them down and take them with you. Mm -hmm. Our house yep. was hardwired for so much stuff and I've just been snipping the wires because I'm like, we're never going to use this stuff. And I That's want it at the old house. Yeah. I, I want I want to be able to take my stuff with me. You know, this is my stuff. It's not anchored to the house. So this painting process has shown us like, oh, right. There's a bunch of stuff in the walls that we want to just take out. Mm-hmm. We have yep, uh, Simply Safe, which I think that nice. means we've covered all the major ones. All the major. Yeah. But- <laughs> yeah. Uh We like that one too, just because uh, you're not tied to like a bigger company. Everything is portable. Sign up with command strips. You can Mm -hmm. put it where you want, can add more or take stuff away and it's not a problem. Yep. Yep. It's funny you mentioned command strips because I had originally used the like sticky part for the contact sensors at the old house, which is very sticky. And like I had to like really work hard to get them off. And then I just removed the stickiness from them and then just put command strips on the back and hung them up. So now it's super easy to get them on and off if I need to. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that too. So yeah, glad we're on the same page. 
for plug, I'll plug, uh, you plug Learn, Build, Teach. I'll plug my newsletter. I want to continue to plug that more, although I haven't sent an email in like a month now. So I need to get back to it. But you can find it at jamesqquick.com slash newsletter. Usually I do just something that's top of mind for me. I share some of my content. I share some of the content from the Learn, Build, Teach community and a recent episode of the Compressed podcast as well. So if people interested in staying up to date with those content, just what's top of mind for me, you can find it at jamesqquick.com slash newsletter. And I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Another warm official welcome, although it's been this way for a little while, to Brad as a host and also for sharing his origin story. I didn't know if you wanted like, to comment or not. So I, <laughs> <a gap. laughs> I will comment because I comment really quick. This has been a long time coming because one of my favorite episodes was one that James and I recorded live at that conference last January. And it was like, your name Brad, <laughs> became a drinking game. It was like the biggest joke throughout oh, the entire yeah. episode. So it's like, how many times can we mention Brad? And so that meme I'm with the birds that. was so funny. <laughs> I'm glad we made it official. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. I like, I was like, uh, a guest a couple times and then did some like subbing in and uh, it, it felt like a really natural transition. So we even did anyway, a crossover I, episode. We when did a crossover. I had a podcast for a while. Mm, that's <laughs> right. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. And I think we've got a few things that are going on behind the scenes that we're kind of talking about. So we're figuring out, I think what is kind of the new next evolution, not to be super dramatic, but like there's maybe some changes, not some huge things, I don't think, but just some things that we're talking about behind the scenes to continue to, do what we enjoy to have amazing guests and then also mix in just like us as personalities and and have conversations with ourselves, which I think we enjoy also. So more to come, but if you're listening to this on podcasts and you enjoyed it, leave a rating and review in your podcatcher of choice. It'll help us bring on more amazing guests. I was going to say another guest like Brad, but that's not the case because Brad is a host, (laughs) but bring on more amazing guests and for us to have more amazing conversations in the future. In the meantime, that's all we got.